It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from the first one with DJ Khaled, a new podcast only available on Amazon Music. What's up, y'all? This is DJ Khaled, and this is the first one. I talk to the most iconic artists on the planet about songs that didn't change the game, but changed their life. We hear from all the A-list music stars like J Balvin, Nas, and Kelly Rowland, who tell their stories about the first hits that took them to being overlooked to being overbooked. Join me every Thursday, only on Amazon Music. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON for an additional discount over the 25% off they're offering for Black Friday. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, there is a lot of news to get to. This episode will have to get you all the way to the weekend. We've got our crossover Thursday. James talked with Patricia from Lockdown Giants about what's going on with Joe Judge, who's, I think, Darren Simmons' biggest fan with the New York Giants. We're also going to talk with Dr. Brandon Bowers about Joe Burrow's upcoming surgery and recovery. That surgery is still unscheduled. But to start the show, James, we've got injury reports. we got to update the people about what's going on with the Bengals for injuries. It's only Wednesday, so a lot will probably change there. I think we've got to talk about the press conferences today from the concussed, apparently, Giovanni Bernard and Von Bell and Zach Taylor. They all talked a little bit about what was going on after the Elise Jesse article that we talked about yesterday on the podcast. James, the first bit of news I think to get out of the way before we even talk about the injury report or the press conferences is reports indicate that Brandon Allen will be the starting quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals in week 12 against the New York Giants in Cincinnati. Ryan Finley came in in relief for Joe Burrow against the Washington football team last week, but it didn't go great for Finley. It didn't go great for Finley last year. By all accounts, he had a tough time in camp, and I speculated about this when we weren't recording yesterday. I thought that Brandon Allen might be the starter as soon as this week. Looks like that will be the case. Zach Taylor and the Bengals not confirming that, but it has been widely reported. Besides that, some injury updates. Giovanni Bernard, who spoke to the media today, then did not practice, listed with a concussion. And Mike Thomas, listed with a hamstring injury, didn't practice. Not practicing for not injury-related reasons were A.J. Green, Mike Daniels, and Geno Atkins. Limited were Mackenzie Alexander and Marcus Bailey. And a full participant with a neck injury, apparently, Logan Wilson. And Giovanni Bernard, the huge surprise. I mean, as we record this, he was talking with us virtually about six hours ago, five hours ago, and now he's potentially out this Sunday with a concussion. You really wonder if these symptoms just crept up and he started to feel them this, you know, on Wednesday at some point. He was joining us from his house virtually, so he probably went to practice and maybe felt off or, or something was wrong. So that would be unfortunate. Hey, Brandon Allen, go out there, start, which... Probably the right call with Brandon Allen. I don't think anyone's going to debate that, but there's a whole Ryan Finley saga that we don't have time to get into today. Um, But go out there without Joe Burrow, obviously, without Joe Mixon, and without potentially Auden Tate, who's going to be on the reserve 19 COVID list, or the team placed him on there today, and no Giovanni Bernard either. 
that's a tough spot to be in for any quarterback, specifically Brandon Allen. And they're going to have to remake the offense a little bit for him too, which makes it all the more challenging for these coaches, for the rest of the offensive staff. We're going to have to see what they do along the offensive line where Mike Jordan injury play aside did not have a good game against Jonathan Allen and the Washington football team. They've got to find a way to keep Quentin Spain in the lineup. Xavier Suofilo is working his way back. Who knows what's going to happen at right guard between Suofilo and Alex Redmond could have Bobby Hart back this week. Could be a lot of turnover on the offensive side of the ball. And obviously the new quarterback making that all the more challenging for everybody involved. But Hey, Travion Williams, come on down, right? Samaji Pirine, I'm sure if Gio can't go, will be the lead back. But Travion Williams hasn't gotten a whole lot of opportunities in the pros. This could be a week for him to start to get some touches against the New York Giants. Now, the press conferences today, James, were mostly focused on locker room cohesion. Giovanni Bernard giving an impassioned defense of Zach Taylor and Von Bell saying good things about the coaching staff and the situation, saying that they all believe they aren't happy with the results, but they're working towards something. This, of course, going against the Elise Jesse report from yesterday. To me, James, this just tells me that there are factions in the locker room and maybe the players don't actually have an individual problem with Zach Taylor specifically. And if you look at Elise's reporting, it mostly points to other coaches on the staff. But I did find it interesting Geo making it very clear that, hey, yeah, that report came up. We talked about it as a team. That is the part that I thought was interesting. The fact that they did talk about it, they acknowledged it, it was brought up. Geo said he didn't know about it and pays, doesn't pay attention to that stuff until it was brought to his attention, uh, essentially. So th- that's one thing, too. Look, it's a lot to ask, and, and I get it. You know, people are like, well, Giovanni Bernard said this. Well, you know how many times I've been asked how my day was going and I said, oh, I'm good or I'm doing well and, and I don't necessarily tell the truth. And I'm not saying Geo, but just in general, it's a lot to ask any player because I'm not Bernard's probably telling the truth. I'm not saying that, but it's hard to ask any player to sit in front of a Zoom, not named Carlos Dunlap, who clearly wanted out of town and say, hey, how are things? And then be like, well, it sucks. I hate it here. Well, they're not going to do that. And the reality is, is multiple players and not just players, by the way, have talked to Elise about their unhappiness, about uh, the lack of communication from this coaching staff, specifically from defensive coordinator Luana Rumo, obviously Jim Turner and even Zach Taylor. So there are issues there. And that's the other thing. Giovanni Bernard said that the anonymous sources were soft. Zach Taylor said the same thing. I'm not going to acknowledge something if the players aren't going to put their name on it, and I'm paraphrasing, I know Gio did say the word soft. It is interesting, and you wonder how this is going to play out if they aren't able to scrape together, keep it together, and get a couple wins down the stretch. And how challenging will it be, James, to get some wins down the stretch with the roster as it stands today? Let's just say I think they've got their work cut out for them And, you know, what's just been interesting for me to watch is a number of fans. There's fans on both sides of this Elise Jesse story. People that are like, look at what Gio's saying. And another set of fans, it's, you know, fire Lou, fire Jim Turner, fire them all. And that will be tough from a PR perspective as well, I think. Coming up next, Dr. Brandon Bowers joins us to talk about 
what we should expect to see from Joe Burrow going into this surgery, coming out of the surgery, what's ahead of him, what the recovery process looks like, and what might be different for Joe Burrow, what new technology exists that maybe Carson Palmer didn't have access to when he went through the same thing. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season, whether you're on your couch or if you're like me, going to Paul Brown Stadium to watch Brandon Allen sling it all over the field on Sunday, Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football. Watching. Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Q, host of the Locked On Raiders podcast. And I hope you guys feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? No, nah, but seriously, now is the time to get some skin in the game with MyBookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are. We know what they're capable of, and it's not difficult to find some value in the lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie, and when you do, use promo code LOCKEDON to get your deposit match halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at my bookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Let's keep things rolling with the, the story of the week, the story of the year, the story of the offseason, because we're going to be tracking probably every step of Joe Burrow's recovery process. And to do that, Let's welcome in Dr. Brandon Bowers. Check him out on Twitter, at Dr. Brandon Bowers. He is a doctor of physical therapy for Athletico, a sports injury expert, and now he's on the Locked on Bengals podcast. Brandon, I appreciate the time. I think everybody that's listening right now wants to know, how realistic is it to expect Joe Burrow back on the field for week one in 2021? When we look at these injuries, guys, uh, the, the timetable typically ranges from 9 to 12 months. So if you do the math on that, 12 months from now, on the long end of things, puts us into November of next year, where nine months, if he's on the short side of things, would give him a shot to do it. Uh, but what we see with these multi-ligamentous injuries that involve an injury to more than just the ACL, they can take a little bit longer. So although it's within the realm of possibility for him to be ready for week one, I wouldn't put my money on it. So we've heard that we, we know for sure the MCL is torn, the ACL is torn. We've heard that there's damage to the PCL from Adam Schefter during Monday Night Football at halftime. There's damage to the meniscus. We don't know the extent of the damage to that ligament or, or the meniscus. How much would it complicate things if, if they do find that they have to reconstruct the PCL, for example, or if they need to do something to reconstruct the meniscus as well? And is that something that they might not find out until they go in for surgery? Are they going to do another MRI? What standard operating procedure for that sort of thing? 
So Burrow already went one underwent one MRI. So we have we have this initial diagnosis that you mentioned: the ACL, the MCL. Schefter said the PCL and then the meniscus. Swelling immediately after the injury can complicate the way that these images look. So there is a chance that Burrow receives a second MRI before that they go they go in for a surgical procedure. Now, when they get in there, there may be may have been some things that they didn't see on the MRI that may be revealed, as you mentioned, that may need to be addressed. And as we talked about here just a little bit ago, when we have more than one ligament injured and more than one ligament that needs to be repaired, that can lengthen the process. So I'm going to be interested to see, number one, whether or not he gets a second MRI, and then after surgery, what the final surgical report is regarding what exactly they had to repair when they got inside that knee. Brandon, how long is it going to take for him to have surgery? We've heard that the swelling has to calm down, and that's kind of the key. What's the timetable for something like that? It's really going to vary based on the individual. We look at a guy like Saquon Barkley for the Giants who tore his ACL at the beginning of the season, and it wasn't until over 40 days after he had the injury that he underwent surgery. And so he's going to, Burrow's going to be undergoing uh, more or less what we call prehab, so physical therapy before surgery to help to reduce the swelling, improve his range of motion, and improve his muscle function prior to that surgical procedure. But everybody's going to vary with regards to the swelling. There are some people who have these injuries and have surgery within a week of the injury and you have guys like Barkley that it's a couple months before he goes under the knife with these different ligaments that are involved is there a difference in the kind of rehab can you give us an idea of the sorts of things the sorts of exercises Joe Burrow is going to do we we have heard you know there's different stages of rehab there's regaining mobility and building strength and then some functional stuff, and and you can speak to this much better than I can, but can you talk a little bit about those phases of rehab and how they might change if there is, for example, a PCL issue that we haven't necessarily heard the severity of? The big difference that we see when we're dealing with a multi-ligamentous injury or in the case a meniscus is repaired as opposed to having the damaged portion cut out is the amount of non-weight bearing period that occurs immediately following the surgery. When more than one structure is involved, typically we see a longer period of of non-weight bearing or reduced weight bearing. And then all of that's typically followed by the same standard of operation in terms of reducing swelling immediately, improving mobility uh, immediately after that, but really the, the weight bearing is going to be the thing that we see that's different from one of these surgeries versus an isolated ACL or an isolated meniscus surgery. Doctor, as far as rehab and recovery goes, when he does get back, whether it, it's September, October, November, we don't know, but when he does get out there, and you obviously have studied athletes, they usually don't look like themselves right away i know deshaun watson talked about this they just don't have confidence in the knee even though they're cleared and it's just as strong as the other one in your experience it probably varies but how long does that take for for an athlete to get past and and to be confident in himself again and, and get to to be that same player and play at that same level It can take a full season in some cases, because what we see here, James, and and you hit on it, is that they are structurally and physically strong to the point that they need to be. But until they get those game reps and until they get 
those game scenarios where they have linemen or defensive players flying around that knee and they know that they can trust it, it can be tough to build up that psychological aspect. So when Burrow gets back out there, it's not going to take a week or two. He's got to get 100% comfortable with that thing, and it could take upwards of a, uh, of a year before he feels comfortable. And I've seen some people in some cases that say, hey, I really don't trust this thing and I don't want to take the risk. Now, I, I don't think we see this typically in NFL players. This is more your high school or maybe low-level college athlete that just is like, you know, I'm not going to play pro. This isn't just worth it to me. But for a guy like Burrow, I bet he, he is able to regain that confidence. It's just going to take some time. A lot of times you see players come back from these injuries and start wearing a brace on the injured knee. How much of a difference does that brace really make versus how much of that is, as you said, a psychological thing where they don't necessarily have as much confidence in the joint as they did before they suffered the injury. They've gone through this rehab. There's some trauma associated with it, perhaps psychologically. And now we put a brace on it to feel a little bit better about it. The brace, a lot of times with the initial return to play, if there's no additional instability through the joint, which should be the case for Burrow when this is all said and done, the brace really does serve that psychological piece. The goal eventually, obviously he's pretty young in his career, would be to get rid of that brace and have a knee that's fully functional and fully stable that he can trust. But until he is able to build that trust in the knee, recover this psychological piece, then I think a brace is a very realistic option in order for him to be out there and continue to play after the injury. So more oftentimes than not, these braces are on these knees or on ankles for guys who have ankle issues uh, just to provide a little bit of confidence for them when they're initially returning to play with an eventual goal to get rid of them altogether. We saw... Alex Smith, and I think probably a lot of our listeners watched it. Brandon, I'm sure you watched it, the the E60 mm-hmm. with him. And it, it's a much different injury. But he was throwing from a chair and, and still trying to keep his arm together and, and stuff like that. Do, do quarterbacks, do, do you expect Joe Burrow to, to do some of that and still weight train and do that? And, and if so, what does that entail? And, and how do you do that? Is that something you just do at, at Paul Brown Stadium at the Bengals facilities? Yeah, it it all ties back, and you guys are probably sensing a theme here, to this psychological piece. I, I do this with athletes all the time. You look at a professional athlete, a college athlete, a high school athlete, football for Joe Burrow is his life. That's what he gets paid to do. And when you take that away from a guy like him or a collegiate athlete, it can, it can be tough uh, on the mental side of things. So in my clinical practice and what they'll likely do here with Joe Burrow and what we saw with Alex Smith is as soon as we can start to get him into some sort of activity involving football, sitting in a chair, throwing a ball, uh, taking mental reps at practice, just watching how practice develops, reading defenses, the better. And this really helps them still feel engaged and, and involved from a football perspective, even though he's not going to be up on his feet running around. To get a football in his hands, have him working on that upper body strength and just getting, getting those mental reps can be crucial. I can't imagine how challenging it must be for Joe Burrow to have gone through, you know, he didn't get a preseason he hardly got an off-season program. He was practicing his cadence in his family's basement. And now, just like you said, he, he doesn't get to be as engaged with this game that he so clearly loves. Speaking of just a work ethic, we talk about these ranges of recovery times and obviously every body is different. Is there research into healing factors or or what kind of thing leads to faster recoveries than others? 
or is that a medical mystery for lack of a better word with a guy like Adrian Peterson coming back really fast or the Bengals actually have a history of ACL injuries like Carson Palmer, for example, who had a very bad, very similar knee injury, I think, in Mm -hmm. January and was back for training camp that same year. Is there knowledge around what leads to those recovery times? Yeah, so I'll start by saying that I, I laugh every time everybody uh, brings up Adrian Peterson, but he's definitely the the medical anomaly and the exception to the norm. So he came back in something like four months and was just an absolute freak of an athlete. So don't compare uh, Joe Burrow in this case. It would be nice if everybody came back that quick, but it's not always the norm. So in terms of how we accelerate this process, we really do just have to let the normal biology of our bodies and chemistry of our bodies do their thing. We can reconstruct construct the ligament in a a knee, but it really has to to heal and become solid on its own. Now, early on, there's a a newer technique called blood flow restriction training that can allow us really to load an individual's muscles, joints, and tendons at an earlier stage than without, and it doesn't stress the body quite as much. So from an early on in rehab perspective, we can really start to push things with that blood flow restriction training and a couple other methods, but in terms of the overall timetable, it's pretty standard that nine to 12 months is really what we're looking at. So we don't have any little micro robots we can throw into the incision when we're doing the surgery to, you know, speed things up or any, <laughs> no, no sci-fi solutions out there. You know, you know, I really wish we could. And if, if I come up with any ideas, I'll certainly let you guys know and give the Bengals medical staff a call so we can get Joey B out there a little bit quicker. Wouldn't we all love that? That's Dr. Brandon Bowers, Athletico Clinic. We thank you so much for your time and the in-depth discussion about what we're going to see from Joe Burrow and and what he's going to go through in the next months to year. Gentlemen, it was a pleasure and I appreciate you having me on. Coming up next, James talked to Patricia from Locked on Giants. Get a little bit of a look into the Bengals-Giants matchup in Cincinnati and also a look at Joe Judge's first season in New York. This is Ross Jackson from Locked on Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different. And that's why Carvana invented a brand new way for you to buy a car that's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made the purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door, or you can go and pick it up from one of the coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a seven-day return policy, ensuring that you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check it out, the nation's fastest growing auto retailer at Carvana.com, C-A-R-V-A-N-A.com, Carvana.com. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't want to do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash dellemc. Let's get a closer look at the New York Giants with Patricia Trania. She is the voice of Locked On Giants, and she joins us now. Patricia, I appreciate the time. 
let's start here with Joe Judge, the first-year head coach. It's something we've talked about a lot with Zach Taylor here on the Locked on Bengals podcast. It's important to flash and show that your team is going in the right direction when you're rebuilding with a young quarterback. Is that the case for Joe Judge now that they've won two in a row? Oh, they've definitely stayed stayed bought in with him. I mean, even when they were losing, it usually, if you go back and you look at the, the losses, with the exception of maybe that week three loss to the 49ers, the Giants have been competitive. And really, they, they've been the ones, in some cases, who have beaten themselves, whether it be from a breakdown here or a drop pass there or whatever the case may be. So they've actually been competitive. And, you know, Joe Judge has been focusing them on one day at a time, one week at a time, one game at a time, you know, coming out of the bye week, for example, you know, everybody's like, oh, can you build on this momentum? And he's like, I don't believe in momentum. He says, we are zero, zero. He says, we have one game coming up. We want to be one and oh, by the end of Sunday. So he's kind of um, downgraded that whole idea that, oh, we're on a roll or, you know, we're, you know, <laughs> this is building upwards. So he, he's really done a good job in getting those guys to buy in. I believe it. And, and I, I certainly from afar have noticed signs of that. Let's talk about Sunday a little bit. D- Daniel Jones, uh, obviously a guy when he was picked, there was um, there were some questions about it. But uh, I've seen some highlights of his. The, the team obviously has won a couple in a row. How is he faring in year two? He's actually getting better. Now, what a lot of people don't don't want to acknowledge or maybe forget or whatnot is when he came into this year, he looked like he had regressed and people were screaming, oh, get rid of him. Trevor Lawrence, you know, or bust, uh, you know, you name the quarterback. That's who they wanted. What people forget, again, new system, new offense, no offseason. Those first four games, even though they count against the standings, they were basically the preseason. You know, Jason Garrett, I remember saying, you know, at the first week in October, we're still learning what we do well and what we don't do well. And that, to me, just kind of summed summed it up right there that they were still trying to figure things out. Because, look, you can put everything down on paper and it all looks great on paper, but until you get out there and start doing it, you don't know what's going to work and what's not going to work. So the same thing has applied with Daniel Jones. One of the things Jason Garrett has done is he's he's sped up the offense a little bit to where now the ball is coming out of Daniel Jones's hands a lot faster. He's also um, implemented more RPOs and zone reads, which plays to his strength. So credit Jason Garrett, the offensive coordinator, for really turning things around and, and just you know, going from that vertical offense that everybody expected him to run to something that better suits Daniel Jones's strength, especially with no Saquon Barkley in the lineup. Yeah, let's get to that because Jones obviously out there, but he's playing without his best player in Saquon Barkley. Who is he relying on? Are they are they going pass heavy? Are they just a pass heavy offense? Do they mix it up with Gallman and some other running backs? How does that work? Yeah, you know, the surprise thing is, is the running game five weeks in a row over five, over 100 yards. That's without Saquon Barkley. Wow. And it's been done with a combination of running backs. Wayne Gallman has been the number one guy. He's been spotted by Alfred uh, Morris and Dion Lewis and a little bit of Eli Penny here and there. And 
you know, it's just amazing. And then, oh, we got to include Daniel Jones because he's been responsible for some of the yardage too. So we can't forget him. But yeah, I think the whole key here, believe it or not, has been the run blocking of the offensive line. Because, you know, you go back to the first couple of games when Saquon Barkley was in the lineup and, you know, the Giants run game struggled. Well, why did they struggle? Because the offensive line couldn't block to save their lives. Now they're starting to settle down, even with this rotation that they have going on. And now all of a sudden you see holes developing. You see, you know, different types of runs, off tackle runs. You see um, end arounds. What happened with the uh, – is it Colombo, the offensive line coach? Yeah. I, I know that was in the news. Our listeners are probably – like what the heck happened? So I, I just I have to ask you because when you mentioned the offensive line and the rotation and them playing better, naturally I think people's heads go there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got to be honest with you. When I saw the news come across my uh, Twitter feed, I, I looked at it and I said, "Oh my God!" Uh, I think it was a rap sheet that reported. I said, "Oh my God!" Rap sheet got hacked because I saw the the blue check mark and I said, "Oh wait a minute, it is verified. It's not a fake account. It's, it's coming from him." But I thought he got hacked. So needless to say, the reports came out. Basically, um, as I understand it, Colombo has one way of teaching the offensive line. And and um, there was con- some concerns specifically related to Andrew Thomas, their first round draft pick, that he wasn't developing the way or at the pace, I should say, that they were expecting. So in the last several weeks, Joe Judge got involved with kind of overseeing that group which is his right, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, Judge apparently likes to go and, and and flutter around, if you will, to all the position groups when they're going through their individuals and felt that, you know, he had to kind of be more hands-on with the offensive line. So he hired, and I'm going to butcher this guy's name because I've been doing it since he's been hired, Dave the <laughs> Gold. Can I just call him Googs? I mean, everybody knows. There you go. Guy. That's fine. He, he hired somebody else. Uh, they the and, and you know when I when I'm off off air I can say it I, you know but I'm gonna <laughs> just call him Googs okay because that's his nickname so they hired Googs um, the Guglielmo I think that's how you say it <laughs> they hired Googs uh, to be a consultant but not specifically an offensive line consultant he was supposed to be an offensive consultant but Googs's specialty is offensive line he was actually on Tom Coughlin's staff back in 2004 through 2008, the first rendition of Coughlin's staff. So anyway, uh, make a long story short, Colombo apparently didn't take kindly to the fact that now he had a, a de facto assistant, if you will. And he, from what I understand, Colombo can be a bit of a, um, a hothead, for lack of a better term, and he let Joe Judge know his feelings, and supposedly things escalated and you know, one thing led to another, and now, unfortunately for Colombo, he's out of a job right before the holidays. And, you know, look, still a very good offensive line coach, but apparently what he was teaching, not a fit for what Joe Judge wanted. You know, he has a relationship, Joe Judge does, with Googs from their time in New England. Um, and like I said, Googs has been with the Giants before, so they know him. And, um, you know, here we are. We'll see how this uh, kind of affects the offensive line going forward. Yeah, I I like that from Judge, and and here's why. It doesn't take long to realize if something's a fit or not. Usually, you know, know, it doesn't take two seasons or three seasons, and uh, and, and so I I think that's a a smart decision. And if I'm a Giants fan, I'd feel more comfortable with Judge knowing that he was willing 
to pull the plug. Uh, this is Crossover Thursday here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, a couple more questions here uh, about the Giants. One on the offense, and, the, and then we'll, we'll we'll dive into the defense. As far as we've, we've covered the offensive line, we've covered Daniel Jones. I like Sterling Shepard as a receiver. Darius Slayton, these pass catchers. Golden Tate had a little drama I saw there, but I, I still like his game. It seems like Jones does have a, a pretty pretty capable and deep wide receiver room. Do you, do you think that's the case? I think it could be better. I agree with you about Sterling Shepard. And again, I did a, uh, a breakdown for uh, Giants Country. I did an article about offensive improvement. And when Sterling Shepard was out of the lineup, the passing game average yardage actually was lower than what it is with him in the in, in the lineup. And the reason for that, I think, is because Shepard is just a master of finding soft spots in the zone. He is just, I mean, I, I've never seen anybody do it that well on, on this team, at least not in recent years. Golden Tate, um, still a capable receiver, but the big thing with him, his bread and butter has always been picking up yards after the catch. That has unfortunately dropped off this year, as has his um, his 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 targets, which was the source of his whole drama from a couple of weeks ago. Darius Slayton, um, he he's kind of in a sophomore slump. I'm not, you know, when he's been in there and gotten the opportunities, he's been good. But I think he's also drawing a lot more coverage and a lot more attention than what he than what he did last year, which is which leads me to why I say that the depth could be better. The Giants desperately need a number one receiver. They never really replaced Odell Beckham Jr., who was a bonafide number one receiver when they traded him a couple of years ago. They brought in Golden Tate. Tate is not a number one receiver. Next year in the draft, I would be stunned if the Giants don't draft from that deep class that I, you know, that I keep hearing about. I'd be stunned if they don't draft a, a legitimate number one receiver because, look, you know, one of the big, the things with Giant fans is they, they blame Dave Gettleman for a lot of things. And I think some of the blame is misplaced. But one thing that I think everybody has a legitimate beef about, and this is something I've pointed out, Gettleman sometimes trades away or gets rid of talent, doesn't necessarily replace that talent at the same level. And what ends up happening is, is you know, he, he rolls the dice on these young, unproven guys and hopes that somebody steps up. Well, to a certain degree, that'll work, but but you've got to, you know, it's like I tell fans when they say, oh, we should trade this guy or that guy. I say, well, who are you going to get to replace him? Mm-hmm. And the Giants, I don't think, have really done a good job with that. So if there's there's one fault I have with, with Gettleman, um, that would probably be it, not replacing some of the, these premier talents. And, and the same holds true for the pass rush, too, so. No doubt. And that's a perfect transition because I wanted to get to this defense and it, it certainly isn't, you know, the, the defense specifically in the trenches that we remember uh, from back in the day. So, so give our listeners just a a, a breakdown of what the giants are going to throw at either Ryan Finley or Brandon Allen this Sunday against the Bengals. Well, be prepared to be confused. You know, I, I call Patrick Graham's defense. I'm trying to get this to stick, actually, this nickname. I call it the yes defense. And that goes back to his response when he was initially on the first conference call with reporters. He was asked, are you going to run a 3-4 or a 4-3? And he, and he said, you know, he went into this explanation. He says, well, as regarding whether I'm going to run a 3-4 or 4-3, yes. So I call <laughs> it the yes defense uh, based on that. Uh, Graham does a wonderful job of 
giving you multiple personnel looks. Now, by that, obviously, I mean you might see the same look three times in a row, but you won't see the same look three times in a row. You might see, for example, maybe the outside linebacker will drop into coverage or maybe he'll rush or maybe he'll stay at home. So you see all these different combinations and they really confuse quarterbacks. I mean, a few weeks ago, Sean McVay, who's probably one of the most brilliant offensive minds in, in the game today, commented, he says, the Giants defense is a real pain to get ready for because, you, you know, you see one thing on film and then and then they do something totally different. So when you have an un, uh, inexperienced quarterback, which, you know, will be the case probably with the Bengals here, um, that's not necessarily a good uh, recipe for success. Good stuff there from Patricia Trania from the Locked on Giants podcast. That's going to do it for us. Make sure you have a happy Thanksgiving if you're listening to this after Thanksgiving. Well, I hope you enjoyed it and ate a bunch of pie and sneak in a Bilt Bar or two, okay? All right? I'm watching that waste. Sneak in a Bilt Bar. Promo code locked on at BiltBar.com. Until next time, for Jake Lisko, I'm James Rapine. Have a good one. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wildcard exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason. Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020, and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers, and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.